Hey guys, what's up? It is week 102, and I have a bunch of reviews for you, a bunch of Patreon picks, tons of stuff. First and foremost, the Blue Underground uh, contest is still going on. Uh, there'll be a link below. All you have to do is click it, and there'll be a Screaming Toilet uh, email. You click that, and you say, I want to be entered in. That's as easy as that, and it's uh, you get a chance to win New York Ripper Deluxe Edition, Zombie Deluxe Edition, and Maniac Deluxe Edition, all by Blue Underground. Uh, that's all you have to do. Um, the drawing should be... Um, um, it'll be over by the time you see the kind of like maybe a day after you see week 103 and the winner will be drawn on this channel week 104. So just follow Screaming Toilet Contest at gmail.com. Uh, enter your name, U.S. only, please. So yeah, if that's uh, something you're interested in, all the information will be below or you can just follow that email. Uh, I guess we're going to hop into the reviews. This first one I'll be covering is from Doppelganger. And uh, this is... Uh, Bear with me here. This is Hagazusa. Um, I'm not going to be saying that name too many more times, but this is a German film. And I'm going to be honest. The first thing people are going to say about this is, it's like The Witch, or it's this year's The Witch. or um, I, I mean, it was made a couple years ago, but released here. So, uh, yeah, there is some comparisons. It's a period piece. It involves paganism and that kind of witchcraft stuff. But to be honest, um, this movie felt more like um, a measure of sin to me than The Witch. It felt like both of them, but it did have some influence, or I doubt its influence, but it felt similar to the movie A Measure of Sin, which kind of tackles, you know, um, the psychology of people in this time and, uh, you know, being a woman in this kind of horrible situation. This is a, a film that takes place, I believe, 15th century. So we have, uh, it opens up, it, it's broke up in like four parts, four chapters. And you kind of learn that each one of these chapters may not necessarily be in exact order because they jump around in time and you see flashes into this um, woman's past. But it opens up with a, a woman, um, an older woman and her daughter. And uh, they seem to be the only, living together. There's no man in their life or a, a, like a father figure or anything like that. And the grandmother seems to get fall ill. Uh, doctors come and visit her. She seems to have some sort of plague. Uh, she starts to lose her grip on uh, her sanity. And uh, her daughter is a, kind of affected in a lot of ways. You see, she sees it firsthand and she's very young at the time. There's some really uh, twisted stuff in here. Uh, stuff that I was kind of uh, amazed to see. And uh, one thing I didn't realize what it was until I went back and watched the director's partial commentary. And I said, oh, I can't believe I missed that. And that's that's huge. Um, that's something that needs to to be spotted out and uh, I my fault personally because I should have got that but there's this thing involving uh, someone becoming a woman kind of breaking her uh, sanity at the same time and I was just like that's that's pretty crazy to think that um, well regardless the young girl ends up being left on her own and to fend for herself uh, we cut to another time they're all separated in chapters like I said shadow blood and I can't think of the other fire so this at this one point we realize she has a young daughter of her own and you're starting to think where did this daughter come from all that's explained later on and they they had this strange uh, kind of pagan uh, religion and you start to realize that it feels like something supernatural may be happening in this area or definitely psychological supernatural it feels kind of like something maybe like the long weekend where you're like what is going on here is there 
their minds playing tricks on them or is it generally something wrong with this environment and it feels less like a outside supernatural element as a being but more like nature in its entirety because they have this pagan religion and it feels like nature is kind of creeping in even at points in this movie that tends to happen with the house becomes more more um a forest like more nature like and moist and stuff like that and this film plays a lot with uh decay and nature mixture it's very strange and these kind of triggers that happen to the main character that happen uh with her mother in the past and they kind of come back and they kind of implant into her brain as well the one complaint i have about this movie is the psychology because our lead character starts to lose her grip on her sanity as well and I don't understand how the main character, and uh, I meant the, the older woman, she seemed to be crazy maybe before, but I, I felt more like it was brought on by disease. And I would think that maybe, you know, psychological problems can be passed on from generation to generation. And that's what I was thinking at first. But when this character has some sort of plague that set her sanity off, and uh, her insanity off, or turned her insane, or whatever you want to say. And then this character seems to just be affected by the effects of what she saw less more so it's kind of weird than that kind of aspect it's kind of saying what happens to you at a young age affects you as an older age and yes you know that's been proven but it was i think it would have been a little bit better if the mother had had more psychological problems stated before her disease hit but uh it's an interesting movie the sound uh and design and the images of the, the, the how it looks i mean that really is the definition of film like sound and visual combined and uh they do that really well especially the droning weird sounds the forest uh feels alive it feels creepy and the music comes in and it's droning a sense of dread you know how a lot of these movies nowadays rely big on their soundtracks to create a horror atmosphere and this one does it as well uh the surround sound was shaking it was creepy um, the lead performance is great. She gives a, a, a very, um, dedicated and, and intense performance. And what we learned to happen to her, you kind of understand some of why her, she loses her grip on uh, reality even further. And we have a point where she has this kind of, a like they, like, uh, they are like in this weird kind of religious thing where they worship, you know, certain things. So at one point there involves psychedelic mushrooms and there's some symbolism for rebirth in here as well. And there's one of the most grueling scenes uh, involving a young child, uh, a baby. Don't want to say too much, but you guys can use your imagination uh, in this movie. And it, it goes to the places. And, and the one thing that I was felt at a certain point, I said, exactly what is the point of all this? And it's just so cruel that you have to ask yourself, what's the point to all this? And I guess it's just to kind of show uh, the psychology of a person in this kind of time. But also, it has this... <laughs> almost a supernatural element well it's something like pan's labyrinth there is a scene in there where you can point one direction to the other if it's really happening or not and this one i never felt there was that genuine scene i maybe a open discussion with someone else would point me in that scene and uh, i would like to think about it a little bit more but regardless I, i've been thinking about the movie so that's always a plus uh it's well worth watching um and it has some great visuals, some great uh, um, sound design. It's a well-made movie. Anybody that says different, uh, it just I could see if this is not somebody's cup of tea. But you have to admit that when it comes to visuals and it comes to sound, it's there. And uh, the story uh, may turn some people away. Um, it's a period piece that is pretty graphic at times and not an easy film to like or easy film to recommend. But it is, I think, a good one. Um, 
on the disc there is a, a selected commentary which is like 30 minutes uh, where the director talks a lot about the movie that actually helped me understand some of the things and made sure that my a way of thinking wasn't completely way off I was like okay I thought this happened and this happened okay I'm there I'm there I'm, I missed that stuff like that and uh, there is uh, a short film made by the director which is I think close to an hour but uh, yeah that is uh, Hagazusa <laughs> Again, sorry, but this is from Doppelganger Films. It's coming out uh, this month sometime. There'll be all the information below and probably a written review as well. Thank you. Okay, the next one is by Vinegar Syndrome, one of the best labels out there. They always do great work, and this one is no exception. The Corruption of Chris Miller. Yeah, uh, they advertise this as a, 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 Span, a Spanish giallo. So I was like, I love Euro Horror. I love those kind of movies. Uh, yeah. The Corruption of Chris Miller. It opens up uh, right off the bat with a very strange murder, uh, and it, it, le it keeps you enticed right there because the movie goes on and it's more of a drama, but we have these layers of all these characters coming undone. We have this girl, Chris Miller. She lives with her stepmom. Played by Jean Sor Sorrell, I think. She was like kind of a famous actress that had a tragic end. But uh, she lives with her stepmother and they have this weird, kind of almost incestuous relationship where uh, Chris wants her, waiting for her father to come back who abandoned both of them. He seems to be kind of a piece of shit, to be honest. Uh, enter this weird uh, drifter, this kind of handsome drifter that obviously starts to, you know, exploit his good looks with the women. And uh, the stepmother... Gene Terrell kind of realizes, you know, 
I have you. I can use him to get to somebody else, and that sets up this complex thing. And meanwhile, there is these murders happening. So, who is the killer? How is it related to all this? Um, they do let you in on enough information, but and you can put some of this together where you say, "Well, this has to be this, and this has to be this," and it leaves you only a couple options. But uh, a couple different turns and twists happen where it leaves you intrigued. And when they do happen, everything was set up perfectly. Well, there's construction happening near the house so that comes into play. Things like that uh, mentioning of a puppet show that was put on and of course in the basement or the cellar there is the puppet show. Uh, it's just the cellar is used in that point and then later on it is a, a way to enter the house. Everything in this movie is well structured. Nothing comes out of left field. Um, there is some absurdity at one point but it's played for almost you know the psychology of a character where in, uh, when you find out uh, who the killer is that's definitely played for like uh, kind of this person was off off their rocker. Um, the killer decides to wear very interesting uh, outfits when they do their crimes. Uh, without spoiling too much, but uh, there's some iconic, uh, you know, iconic image on the cover, and that part is very genuinely creepy. And uh, when the murders do happen, they're they're mean spirited, not necessarily in a graphic, gory way, but uh, the nonchalantness and aggression that the killer has uh, without. Caring who is the victim is uh, pretty pretty grueling, and I love that they show the newscast, uh, the police detective talking on the newscast, and then they show the people watching that and how they kind of pull the strings of these people. There's also that in there. Um, this is actually directed by Javier Bardem's dad. Uh, they mentioned that on the Shockwaves podcast, and I thought that was kind of interesting for sure. Um, you know, coming from uh, Javier Bardem, coming from a, a family of filmmakers, is nice to know. But uh, this movie was shot well. It looked well. There's a great uh, thing with the rain constant raining and everything like that it plays into the character psychology that she was possibly well she was obviously abused during some time of water and you get to see all that play in and there's just one of these iconic uh moments at the end of the film that's shot really well and the sound comes out and there's this music and the characters are uh rabid it reminds me of something like um vampires by um jose Lurars kind of and the bloodlust that's done and that that seems great without spoiling too much uh and it all comes together nicely at the end but uh there's still uh you know so maybe possibly something else going to happen on the disc they have included um uh, uh kind of a retrospective of the director which i didn't get a chance to watch they have included uh kind of a short film about uh the actress uh the kind of the big kind of actress and how tragic her life was that was very interesting only 12 minutes long they've included an alternative insert and an alternative ending which i prefer i, th I don't know which one i prefer actually uh either or neither of them ruined the movie or pushed me over one way or another so i I like both of them, and uh, they're they're a little different, definitely. But uh, I think it's well acted. I think uh, the dubbing's really good in this. I think a lot of the people on set were obviously speaking English because uh, the lips sync up very well, and maybe maybe they even dubbed themselves. But um, you know, a giallo. There's not as many. You know, it, it's kind of hard. Like the giallo is such a broad broad genre so it, it definitely feels like a giallo but at times it, it feels more like a psychology psychological almost like uh you know like there's some sexual nature to it as well big time but uh good movie uh looks great um sounds great uh, no complaints it's got takes place in a, a kind of a big mansion so you got that gothic thing going for it um recommended for sure a nice release for vinegar syndrome and i know they release all sorts of good stuff some ranging from sleazy to cheesy to crappy to all sorts of 
of things. And this is definitely one of their more classy efforts in that kind of Italian or a Euro horror, I should say. Sorry, I always call them Italian, even though it's Spanish. But uh, the kind of Euro horror uh, kind of deal. You know, they have that. They're classy, but they're also a little sleazy all at the same time. We never know when something is going to happen. And when it does, everything changes at once. The corruption of Chris Miller. Two women who hate each other. Join together to protect themselves from a mad killer. in the library. He can't have locked all the windows. There must be some way out. The Corruption of Chris Miller. Gene Seberg. Marisol. Barry Stokes. The Corruption of Chris Miller. Okay, guys, the next one. It, it, it should need an introduction from me, but uh, I've always had a soft spot for this movie. This movie's low budget. It's uh, from uh, J.R. Bookwalter, kind of a, you know, independent kind of, a, uh, I guess, what, you, what would you say? Independent kind of a director that's kind of like a legendary kind of indie guy. Now, at this point, it's Robot Ninja. Yeah, from the director of Dead Next Door and Polymorph and Sandman and a bunch of other stuff. But this is the deluxe edition of Robot Ninja, remastered from the elements. That's right. For years and years, I never thought I'd even see a DVD, let alone a Blu-ray of Robot Ninja. But regardless, uh, yeah, they remastered this damn thing. Uh, Robot Ninja was made in the late 80s and released in the early 90s. It was after Dead Next Door, and I I think it was uh, after Skinned Alive or before Skinned Alive. It was actually right before Skinned Alive. So Tempe history for you guys. Dead Next Door, Robot Ninja, uh, Skinned Alive. No, Robot Ninja, Skinned Alive. So yeah. Robot Ninja definitely plays on the comic book tropes. It involves uh, um, a comic book artist named Lenny Miller who does these uh, graphic novels for people or comic books and he hates what the studio has been doing with this character making him a kind of silly in this show kind of like the corny batman so one day he witnesses um a murder robbery and he tries to stop it he's unsuccessful and he goes to his friend who's uh you know i guess he is an engineer he builds stuff he's a you know that kind of character so he begs him to make him a robot ninja suit. Uh, Lenny Miller is definitely delusional, but in all good revenge stories, they're going to pay for the revenge and they're going to kind of lose a lot of themselves. So he decides to focus on this gang that was there. Um, uh, what is it? Godie Sanchez is the leader. She's a female, they call her female thug. And uh, there's some familiar faces in her gang, Bill Morrison and James L. Edwards, both Tempe uh, regulars. So she, he, uh, the robot ninja focuses on them. And every time the robot ninja strikes tragedy, also does innocent people get killed so the cops are after the robot ninja more gang members come after him um 
this movie is splattery, it's gory, it's goofy. There's some fun moments, some silly moments, especially when they go to, you know, the uh, comic book place or the, the, where they're producing the comic and you see guys like Scott Spiegel uh, from the uh, Sam Raimi camp and stuff and from Dustal Dawn 2 and Skin Alive. He's there. He's really fun. Marty Closelaw. So he's uh, this crazy artist. So you add in these layers of comedy and silliness, but also at times it is kind of brutal in its way, like a revenge movie. And there's some weird hallucinatory stuff with uh, Robot Ninja after he is brutally beaten. So it has a comic book feel to it. At times, at times tonally, it's just a little silly in certain places. And it definitely feels like it came from young filmmakers, which I don't mean that as an insult. Um, you know, how things work and how uh, things unfold. Uh, the cop is really, really slow at getting there, obviously. But it's just fun. It's short. It's brutal. And there's some fun lines in there. Uh, the doctor is named Goodnight, who uh, made the robot ninja suit, so that plays into it a little bit. But uh, and it also is a shared universe with Skinned Alive. If you guys have ever seen Skinned Alive, uh, the same character, one of the cops, is in Skinned Alive. I love Skinned Alive. But Robot Ninja, this disc has a bunch of stuff on there. There's like four commentaries. There's so much stuff on here. I'm gonna pick it up and look at the back because I watched some of it. But there's no way that anybody could get to all this stuff. There's the original VHS stuff, a uh, master, because this is some new remastered stuff, like some of the CGI and stuff. And this is the first time I've ever noticed because I've had this on DVD. I've had this on VHS. This it's the first time I noticed Lenny Miller, all the posters in the background. You see stuff like Demons 2, Scared Stiff. Um, there's so many posters, and it kind of blows your mind that they're just sitting back there. It, it dates the movie late 80s, early 90s for sure. But um, I dig it. It's not perfect. It's a low-budget movie. It's blemishes show. You know, it has... The Robot Ninja suit's really cool. The premise is really cool. I love revenge films. It's a dirt-cheap movie made in Akron, Ohio. So, you know, from Ohio, go. Yep. But uh, if, if you're interested, there'll be links below where you can get it. Uh, Tempe was uh, one of my favorite companies growing up. I, I enjoy their stuff. Unfortunately, they're closed now. The store's closed and everything. So I don't know. You can find this one, I'm sure of it, because it's fairly new. But a lot of their older releases might be a little bit more difficult to find. But, uh, yeah, Robot Ninja, it's fun. It's a blast. Um it's a little hammy in places, no doubt, but it's worth checking out. Check out the trailer. You'll know if you want to see it or not. It looks great, too. I can't believe they remastered the sound and the uh, the um, visuals. I meant the, the film so well. You know, it looks great. Late last night, a witness saw two men brutalize and rape a young woman. The fifth such brutal crime in Ridgeway this month. Get her, Val. Teach that slut. But he's getting ain't nothing compared to what I'm gonna do to you. I've got three bodies, two dead, one male, one female. Die, copper! Everybody's pegging Robot Ninja's a new Batman. I'll show you what the Robot Ninja's really about. I want you to build me a suit. A real one, not some Halloween costume. Robot Ninja? What's it helpful? You mean to tell me that you're going out tonight? You killed that boy. That little boy! Police report that Robot Ninja is now responsible for four more deaths. What kind of Robot Ninja screams in pain? Let's see if robots believe.
Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from uh, the 22 shots of Moods and Whore Boys. Jeremy picked this one, and it is, uh, geez, I'm not going to be able to say this uh, director's name, but he did Amelie and City of Lost Children. This is Delicatessen. This is actually the second time I've seen this movie. I did watch it years ago, and I felt iffy on it, but uh, this time around, I enjoyed it much more. Maybe I'm smarter. Maybe I'm just more easygoing. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is a French film that is a I guess a post-apocalyptic kind of weird world, and it's a cannibal film, but it's also a comedy. Uh, the first thing I can say about, well, Delicatessen, it's about this uh, kind of apartment, and it has this hierarchy where the butcher's kind of on top, and you guys know exactly what they're eating in this futuristic world when you can't even find rats to eat. But there's also this underground kind of group of people that are resistance. They eat vegetables. They're vegetarians. They kind of remind me of the people in Brazil, like, uh, what is it, uh, Robert De Niro's character is going through the tunnels and everything like that. So they're like the anti-society people. They live underground, and uh, they eat veggies. So this uh, circus former circus performer um he's in a, the guy is in a bunch of stuff including legend of the holy drinker and i think he's in uh alien resurrection which is also by this director and he might be anomaly as well i'm sure he's in all those directors movies but he is a former circus uh performer that had some tragedy happen to him and he has nowhere to go so he decides to try to get a job as a handyman in this uh apartment where the butcher and everybody resides uh, he ends up getting that, but uh, he might be next on the menu. That's kind of what we're going here. The butcher has a daughter that he, uh, I guess he uh, is very overly possessive of, and the apartment is filled with all sorts of strange and weird characters, including uh, uh, Howard Vernon, who's in a bunch of Jess Franco movies, and he kind of is this weird man that uh, covers his room full of water and has frogs and snails that he lives off of kind of everywhere around there. So, and there's, uh, you know, a, a couple with um, that are always kind of like fighting over food and a richer couple one uh who's always trying to kill herself and everything backfires in here what's great about this movie is it's definitely doing the butterfly effect all the time and it has like everything has a rhythmic feel to it so um these characters are having sex upstairs and somebody's fixing something and somebody's playing violin and all of it connects and it creates its own rhythm it creates its own you know kind of uh feeling and music in the movie and that's really hard to do and it really is fun and it's really cool and it's showing how all these people are interconnected and they're all part of the same kind of music and dance or whatever you want to call it but it's really cool and clever and I know that guys like uh, Edgar Wright still do that and that's really cool stuff but he uses music and stuff in there but this is like creating the music and all these people are it's just really clever how they do it it's a dark comedy. It's very silly. At one point, one of the characters is being threatened with a butcher knife, and they're not. And the person says, "Scream, scream!" So somebody will come down and help them, and they can kill them. Um, the person refuses to scream until they see a spider on the ceiling, and that's when they scream. So it's just that's one of the silliest scenes in the entire movie. And I'm just like, "What the hell?" It's just uh, you know weird humor. But there's some really great set design. The building is kind of dilapidated and falling apart, and at the end, it completely crumbles at a certain point. But uh, it's just a really really cool movie and very unique and it's one of the weirdest cannibal movies um i think i've seen to be honest and it, it's dark com darkly comedic but also touching at points and very funny especially the woman who's always trying to kill herself and at the end uh what actually happens uh but there's always things uh, other people are doing that prevent her from killing herself but all these people are inter uh mingled and they all have their own you know stories going on that all cross and meet and whatnot really interesting movie um looks great and uh very funny well acted no complaints here uh good stuff um that is uh, delicatessen
Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from uh, Chris Rivers, and this is um, To Have or To Have Not. And this stars Humphrey Bogart, um, uh, Walter Brennan, and Lauren Bacall. And it's directed by legendary filmmaker Howard Hawks. I had never seen this. You know, this is a very weak time for me. I always say that, you know, 30s and 40s non-horror movies... I am really bad with. But, uh, yeah, this one follows uh, the story of uh, kind of a charter boat guy who takes people out on fishing in this kind of uh, island that's, uh, I think, off off the coast of France. and uh, Not France, but in that area. Yeah, it's got to be around France. Duh. Um, this takes place during World War II, so ge- geography and where everything was at this point is a little confusing for me. Okay, so um, there are these kind of uh, uh, Caribbean kind of islands, I think, where... They, there's a French resistance against the Nazi uh, regime. And uh, Humphrey Bogart is an American just doing his job, taking people out fishing. And he doesn't want any part of this resistance. Uh, Lauren Bacall is this kind of drifting woman that he refers to as slim. Uh, she's gorgeous in this movie. She gives a great performance. Uh, Humphrey Bogart, also very funny, very uh, charming, has that kind of uh, those lines that just really uh, piss people off, you know, kind of snarky, but clever and whatnot. Um, so he is uh, asked to help these French people, and originally he doesn't want to do it, but through a, a series of events, you don't really know if he's doing it only for the money, uh, but he's kind of doing it for the money, doing it for the girl, and doing it because you think he wants to do the right thing deep down inside. He's one of these guys that has a rough exterior that doesn't want to get involved, but actually genuinely is a really good guy. And uh, Walter Brennan is kind of his first mate. And Walter Brennan is great in Real Bravo, also by Howard Hawks. He plays this kind of lovable, loud kind of drunk who's slightly annoying, but also endearing. And he's definitely that in here. He is a drunk that uh, falls around Humphrey Bogart and helps him out, or thinks he's helping him out, but Humphrey Bogart's really taking care of him. And he always wants a, a drink of whiskey. But uh, anyways, he gets caught in this, uh, in, in this like, fight between the uh, kind of fascist guys and the French uh, revolution or the French resistance. And the bad guys are really interesting in this movie. They they aren't just come in and shoot everybody all the time. They're kind of witty. They're smart. They want to try to figure out exactly what's going on before they do something they'll regret. But uh, really interesting, actually, how the bad guys are portrayed. 
and uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, the movie has good moments of suspense, and everybody definitely is like just madly in love. The filmmaker, the whole story, everybody's madly in love with Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart because it's just like, oh, they're so great, you know, you can tell. Uh, but I, I dig it. I, I like the environment. I like the story. I like the setup. I like the characters. Um, I like how it ends. There's not much to complain about really on this movie. It looks great, especially, you know, stuff on the boat and looking out over, you know, the black and white and that actually, I love how they lit this stuff in the actual, I guess I'll call it cantina or bar, um, you know, with the piano and all the lights and stuff. It's just like, I'm thinking like this for how long, how, how much technology has advanced? Have we really come that far and as, and got it as good as we should in filmmaking? Because the way they like this stuff and they had less to work with, it's just like, it looks they, black and white. These old classic black and white movies always look so good when they're in HD, but uh, I watched a streaming, so I don't have a Blu-ray to talk about the features or anything like that. But uh, I was really impressed with it. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was a great story, but everybody knows that. I mean, obviously it's a classic for a reason, but uh, I definitely want to check out more Bogart and, uh, uh, Lauren Bacall, I honestly only know Lauren Bacall from the 1980s movie, The Fan, the weird kind of uh, Michael Bean, uh, James Gardner stalker movie, which is actually a cool, decent movie, but uh, not, not on this level or not this type of film. So, yeah, but uh, to have and have not, great stuff. Ernest Hemingway, soldier of fortune, who can always be found where adventure beckons, now takes you to the danger zone of the Mid-Atlantic where strange ships slip through the fog with even stranger cargoes, where every man has a price and every woman a past, where all barriers are down and the only law is the law of the Caribbean. Go on, pull your guns. Go ahead, go ahead, get them out. Tolkien's pushing me around long enough. All you have to do is ask me. You know what you're getting into. It's going to be rough. Look, now, you shouldn't have come up here. It's too much of a chance. I told you downstairs I, know, I can't I take you. I didn't come up for that. I'm sorry for the way I've acted. Oh, you're not sorry at all. You're just sorry because you made a fool out of yourself. That broke as easy as you will. Both gonna take a beating till someone uses that phone. That means one of you's gonna take a beating for nothing, and I don't care which one it is. What'd you do that for? Been wondering whether I'd like it. What's the decision? I don't know yet. It's even better when you help. Stand by that wheel. Wait a minute. Give me that gun. You can't fight them guys, Harry.
Okay, the next one is the Patreon pick from uh, Jonathan Wilhelm, and he picked Deadpool 2. I watched the Super Duper Director's Cut, which is like 13 minutes longer than the regular cut. My understanding is some of the music choices are changed. Okay, um, I watched this on HBO Go. I got a free subscription because it was the only place to rent it or basically watch it when not paying like $20. They wanted you to buy it everywhere. So, okay, Deadpool 2. I actually dug the first Deadpool. I thought it was really fun, really refreshing. Um, and I'm not the, you know, I like the Marvel movies here and there, but I'm not one of those people that's obsessed with all the different, seeing all of them. They're like popcorn movies for me, but I will say I do have a uh, great love for the Guardians movies and the Deadpool movies. So, cause I feel like they're different and they don't feel like everything else. I feel like they do their own thing. So yeah. Okay. Deadpool two. I'm going to say this right now. I think it's an improvement on the first. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is made to play this part. You know, Deadpool's a character I'm vaguely familiar with. I know that he broke the fourth wall. I know he was meta. And so, you know, it, it carries that on here. This movie just has tons of action, tons of fun. I laughed quite a bit. It introduces so many characters. And I'm going to be honest here. This is the first time that I watched an X-Men movie that I was like, this reminds me of X-Men. It reminds me of the toys I had, the show I watched, the cards I collected, the comics I would occasionally read. It really legitimately feels like an X-Men movie. They have a lot of the characters pop in from X-Force. Uh, they have um, things that the fans want to see. It's almost like they watched the other X-Men movies, especially 1, 2, and 3, and were like, these suck. These aren't X-Men movies. They didn't give fans anything they want like x-men 3 really has the juggernaut and colossus and they don't fight whoever wrote that movie is a dummy they like literally have never ever picked up an x-men comic or let alone a comic book in their life but uh yeah this one definitely uh, makes up for a lot of the things that i'm missing in x-men movies i love that they show the mutant prison where they have the collars and those collars were such a big thing in the x-men cartoon everybody would lose their powers they had the collars but there's just some great moments i love the idea that um the relationship between colossus and deadpool is almost like this sexual relationship not really but they have like a romantic relationship i should say and uh Colossus has never been noted one of my favorite X-Men characters. I always thought he was kind of portrayed lousy in the comics as kind of a flip-flopping baby. But that's all X-Men characters. They're always just changing because there's so many different writers. But regardless, I really like Colossus in these movies. I think he's great. He's one of my favorite characters. I love Colossus in this movie. I love the relationship they have between Deadpool and Colossus. It's hilarious. And uh, without spoiling too much, I don't know if anybody hasn't seen this, but there is a fight that Colossus has with someone who is my all-time favorite uh, X-Men character and my second favorite Marvel character after The Thing. So he's in this. He's hilarious. He's great. Uh, he has a lot of funny lines. Um, but the plot is basically they have this, um, you know, uh, Deadpool's in uh, mourning. He lost someone near and dear to him. Uh, and he uh, kind of uh, screws up and ends up in this Supermax prison with this young boy he was trying to help that uh kind of flipped out because he was in this uh you know prey the kind of mutant away uh beat the genetic mutant gene out of them uh prison well school so this kid you know backlashes and he's in the prison with deadpool and they f form this kind of weird friendship uh meanwhile cable from the future comes back played by josh brolin Great choice for Cable. I know people are like, we want Kevin Nash, we want Ron Perlman, we want um, Stephen Lang. I think they're all too old. Josh Brolin, perfect. All those guys would have been great, but they're a little too old now. But Josh Brolin, I thought, was great in it, the role. So he comes back, and he wants to kill this young kill, uh, kid called Fire Fist. So because in the future, Fire Fist does some bad things. Well, Deadpool wants to save this kid. Cable wants to kill the kid. And, of course, you know Cable and Deadpool are going to team up somewhat 
that's kind of the setup of this movie. They got to stop the future from happening. But at the same time, there's uh, cameos and appearances by tons of people. I don't want to spoil the cameos, but there's a, a long list of cameos. Uh, there's some mutants that show up that's really fun. <laughs> and uh, it made me laugh quite a bit. There's a character, what is his name? Peter or something like that, that I was just like, Come on, make sure you watch after the credits too. There's a bunch of stuff in here. But the cast in this movie is amazing. Uh, like I said, if the more I say, the less it will be fun for people. But, um, you know, Domino, she's in the movie quite a bit. So I definitely mentioned her. She's great. And uh, the arguments. Just Ryan Reynolds is such a good sport about making fun of himself too, which is always refreshing to see. Because, uh, you know, a lot of the old action heroes, they would kind of poke fun at themselves, like Arnold or Stallone. They would uh, make fun of themselves. And I always love those guys for doing that kind of thing. But when you get guys like Steven Seagal, even Chuck Norris would poke fun of himself, but Steven Seagal's always 100% serious. But I did give him credit for being a machete. But most of the time he seems serious. It's just like, come on, guys. Lighten up, man. So, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds makes fun of himself uh, quite a bit. Like, these are very meta, so he can step outside and make fun of the X-Men and make fun of Fox and make fun of the other Marvel movies and make fun of himself. So I love seeing that. There's a great line in here. He says, hey, guys, it's the X-Men. We're coming. Dated metaphor from the 60s for racism. And I literally cried. <laughs> I laughed so freaking hard. But it's very funny. It's, it's action-packed. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies I've actually seen because it's different. You know, you start watching the Avengers and, and, uh, and uh, Ant-Man. Those movies are cool. They're fun. They're entertaining. One and done's for me. But after that, that's just what they are. One and done popcorn movies. I don't think about them. I don't want to revisit them. But Deadpool is definitely something I would revisit. It's I'm going to buy it because I, I laugh super hard. It's got a great cast. Uh, it's just... It's all around a blast. Deadpool 2. Great stuff. Like the first one too, but I think I'd like this one much more. This movie night, share the special super duper cut with 15 minutes of unrated goodies lovingly inserted throughout. Enjoy the story that has touched people in ways they never imagined. Why is your hand so tiny? That's not my hand. Oh, that was nice for me. Watch Deadpool 2, the super duper f***ing cut, now on digital. Okay, the next one is from my friend Matt Brown. It's a Patreon pick, and it is called Agony, the Life and Death of Rasputin. I think he gave me this because me and uh, Jeremy were talking about the Rasputin kind of guy in Horror Express, and I was like, I like Rasputin. I'd like to know more about Rasputin. This movie is made in 1981. It's by the director of Come and See. It is two hours and 22 minutes long. Um, the print that I watched was a rental on uh, a Voodoo. It did not look great. It was about half. It was like 60% the screen, so the subtitles could fill the rest. Not a great-looking print. Okay, like I said, I do know a little bit about Rasputin. Probably as much as the average uh, person, maybe a little bit more. Um, but the thing is, this movie, I'm going to say this right off the bat, this movie is made for people that are big history buffs about uh, that time frame, Russians, or people who are obsessed with Russian politics and Rasputin. I am not any of those, really. So this movie was very hard for me to get interested by. It's not a poorly made movie or anything like that. The set designs are great. The budget obviously is there. There's tons of people in the film. The performance by Rasputin is good, although very jarring because he's a mad person and he's crazy. But 
The idea is Rasputin was someone who connected himself with the czars of Russia, and he kind of got himself into politics and really kind of screwed up Russia for a very long time. And, uh, you know, some people would blame Rasputin for the rise of communism in Russia, so all sorts of things like that. But regardless, Rasputin played a major effect on Russian politics. But let me just put it this way. At one point in this movie, they mentioned that there was 19 major political parties in Russia at the time. I don't know Russian politics barely today except what I see on the news occasionally and that they used to be a communist state. I'm a communist country. You know what I mean? Like USSR and stuff like that. I know the average stuff, the everyday stuff. But when you go back and you're thrown into that time and that political turmoil with characters like Rasputin and the czars, the czar of Russia and his wife and the mother and all these characters. And it's just like, oh my God, this is very confusing and very hard to follow, especially when every 30 seconds they introduce a new character who you haven't seen before. And that character may not pop up again, or they may pop up in the next five minutes. And towards the end of the film, there's a character that pops up and he is a monarchist and he starts to go on and on and on about if you kill Rasputin or if Rasputin dies, this could throw the whole, uh, you know, Russian, uh, political system in turmoil and Russia will fall from it. It's just, uh, it's probably a very historically accurate story of Rasputin, and it does play into the fact that Rasputin was for the people, but he's kind of like a rat. And uh, there's lots of uh, memorable scenes in the movie, but I'm going to be honest, this was one of the hardest sit-downs I've ever watched. It took like 20 sittings in two days. And it's not because, like I said, it's poorly made or anything like that. It's just a subject that is so hard to get into, so hard to pay attention to. It's like the Martin Scorsese, like Rasputin, but in Russian, like they just boom, 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 jumping in and jumping around parts and things like that. But it also involves all these politics, which I don't know anything about at the time. Cause they're very complex and all these characters and this character, be like I wonder Rasputin dead or Rasputin's for the people. And it's just like, this is very rough and it's a very, very hard film to get through, especially when you're reading subtitles and the print looks like shit and you can barely tell anything what's going on. It was just a very, very difficult watch. And like I said, I wouldn't recommend this movie unless you are a huge Rasputin history buff into Russian politics or Russian yourself. Um, it's just something that doesn't really, uh, it's very hard to, to grasp me. I think the Christopher Lee Rasputin something more up my alley from Hammer Films than this one. But uh, I don't want to, you know, say a poop on the movie or anything like that. But this is just totally not for me. And it's a very, very small audience for this movie. Sovexport film представляет film режиссера Элема Климова «Агония». На экране достоверно показана агония русского самодержавия. Перед вами Николай II. Призраки исчезнувшего политического мира. Председатель Думы Радзянка. Фаворитка Вырубова. Тибетский врач Бадмаев. Князь Юсупов. Царица Александра Федоровна. Ненавижу эту страну. Распутин. Этот человек должен покинуть Петроград и никогда, слышите, более никогда сюда не возвращаться. О Распутине Александр Блок сказал, неграмотный мужик с сумасшедшими глазами пришел из тайги во дворец, где, глумясь и издеваясь, стал шельмовать над Россией.
пока я тут и вы тут. Не будет меня, на кого валить будете. Я полагаю, что председателем Совета Министров должен быть Протоповов. Вот и крест поставил. Кому послать-то? Пойдите многие к государю! Монархист Пуришкин. Скажите, что так! Дальше нельзя! Государственная Дума. Вел Талина, Алиса Фрейндлих, Алексей Петренко, Анатолий Ромашин. Ну чего ждешь, Феликс? Время тупольно тесно. Веди. Жену, Феликс. Фильм «Агония» создан на киностудии «Мосфильм» СССР. Окей, the next one is a Patreon pick by my boy Derek Bourgeois. Um, and it's also the first uh, of a, a double or, a, you know, um, a, a double header of the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. Calder from what 19 I'm gonna look on the back I knew it was 1971 there we go this is uh one of the olive signature releases okay this stars Raquel Welch this is made by a British company uh Tygon I knew right when I saw Tygon I was like oh this is a British film it also has Robert Culp in it Christopher Lee and it has the baddies the baddies are played by uh three they're three brothers and they're played by western legends Ernest Borgnine the wild bunch Strother Martin also The Wild Bunch and Hard Times, and Jack Elam, 
Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Once Upon a Time in the West. These guys play the brothers. Come on, guys. You can't pick a better gang of baddies than that. Um, the movie opens up with a very violent uh, robbery, which probably wouldn't have been that violent if it weren't for 1969's The Wild Bunch. But uh, as we uh, go on, we realize that these bad guys need new horses. So they stop at this ranch, they kill this man, and they rape this woman. They made a huge mistake in what they did to this woman and this man because the woman is Raquel Welch. Um, and a uh, bounty hunter kind of passes through, uh, played by Robert Culp, and she begs and forces him to teach her how to kill so she can get her vengeance. Uh, this straight away, Robert Culp's character reminded me of something that Tarantino, and they, they mentioned that in special features when I was watching, I was like, that guy, Tarantino's a fan of this movie because Robert Culp's kind of, he doesn't have like the typical, you know, I'm a Western kind of guy movie thing going on. Like, he's a different kind of unique character. Like, he's like a Doc Holliday. Like, he came from somewhere, some other different world and went out West and uh, to make his money. But Robert Culp ends up uh, teaching her and taking her to a place to make her get a gun, a special gun made and teach her how to shoot her gun. Christopher Lee plays a Spaniard, helps him learn the guns. And actually this said to be the only uh, Western Christopher Lee was in. So um, he's pretty good in it. And of course she starts to learn how to use a gun. And uh, Robert Culp along the way is saying, you don't want this revenge, Hanny Colder. You'll lose yourself. You'll, you win or lose, you lose. You know, that kind of deal that how, how far are you going to go to get your revenge and what will be left of you after it's there? That's why I love revenge movies. Like I said, I was talking about Robot Ninja earlier. So, like, I love revenge movies and I love that there is a price to pay for your vengeance um, or your justice, if you want to call it that. But regardless, uh, this movie is strange tonally. During the rape scene, um, Jackie Lamb and Ernest Borgnine are going to town, and it goes to a wide on the outside, and you hear what's happening. But Strother Martin, who plays this whacked out of his goofy kind of comic uh, performance, is running into the house, and he's like, yeah, just want her once. But, you know, it's almost kind of played for a laugh at a certain point, but also at the same time, they don't show the rape. So it's like, I don't know what their intent is. It is exploitative at one point, but also... They're not showing it, but I don't necessarily know if that's a good choice in this because it's like, oh, isn't that Strother Martin so silly? And it's like, I don't know. It was really kind of tonally kind of like, definitely not today, you know, but that's just such a generic thing to say about it. Like, this could be made today. We all know it could be made today, but uh, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just very handled very strangely. But uh, the bickering between the brothers is wonderful. Uh, Strother Martin is, is great. He's just a totally underrated kind of actor. Uh, and Borgnine's always great. Jackie Lamb. They're, they're back and forth great. They're always fighting each other. Uh, you, you learn a little bit about them. They're always on the run. So, of course, you know what's going to happen. Uh, and also, Ernest Borgnine throws knives in this movie. Do you guys know? Where did that thing happen? Where did the original knife thrower happen? You got Lou Diamond Phillips throwing the knives in Young Guns. You got, uh, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin and posse throwing the knife. There's always a guy who throws knives. Even Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid's got throwing a knife. I think it, uh, everybody's always throwing knives. Like, I want to see the original knife thrower from Westerns. Probably like one of the first Westerns is the knife thrower guy. But uh, regardless, uh, Borgnine's throwing knives in this one, so that's kind of cool. Um, the acting is, is really good, and this movie's definitely drooling over Raquel Welch. She's almost like a half-nude a lot of the movie, but hey, it's Raquel Welch. Nobody's going to complain. Uh, but besides that... Uh, there's some really good moments, uh, and, and the revenge happens. It happens in a good spot. It's pretty violent, and uh, I like that uh, Raquel Welsh is, like, empowered by it, you know, and she's just, like, she gets her one line, she gets to face him down and uh, mess him up, to be honest. But 
without spoiling too much, there's a scene where one of, one of the bad guys is being buried, okay? And this is kind of a slight spoiler. And Strother Martin's there, and he's trying to... They, these people aren't religious types, so they're trying to make a prayer. And uh, they're done praying right on the grave. And then uh, they look over, and they're digging two more graves. And like, What's going on here? Well, she told us to dig two more graves. And uh, Strother Martin runs back to his brother's grave with his other brother, and he starts bitching, and he's like, God damn! And he's like... Oh, sorry, God, because he just got done praying, and I laughed out loud. It's just that kind of stuff is just brilliant. On the disc, there is this is the signature edition, so there is a couple, you know, things where they actually do talk about the tonal rape revenge thing here. They're like, this is kind of empowering, but at the same time, it's just kind of not right tonally. And then there's a, a guy talking about, you know, kind of the history of Tygon, and he actually talks to the director, Burt Kennedy, and he mentions that uh, they should have called this tits full of dollars or something like that. And he's like, so maybe, you know, as a lot of people see this as like this progressive feminist Western maybe he this director didn't really have the intent of that and he was just making a movie so uh good movie good cast uh, solid western i liked it when the west had no laws and violence abounded you needed a protector someone to watch over you you're a bounty hunter. I am. Will you shoot that gun? Can you teach me? Get you some proper britches and boots. You got a lot of hard riding ahead of us. I'll be in the saloon if you want me. What'll I do with these pants I've got on? Wash them. Clemens. They was through here last week. Cut right on out, though. Call. Thank you, Sheriff. Anytime. Anytime at all. Here's your pants, Thomas. Thomas? You're gonna do this morning and night until you can do it 30 times. Then I'll be ready. Then we'll get you bigger rock. the weapon out of the holster slowly raise it to arm's length squeeze the trigger don't pull it this time turn a little more sideways you're a target too you know <laughs> but when you're fired he's shooting at you too win or lose you lose you'll not be the same person i hope to hell i'm not Put my pants on. You're not going to need them for long. Do you want to read over, Frank? You know damn right well I can't read. Just drop the damn bottle. Rotten liar. Rotten with a gun, too. Now who's lying? Raquel Welch is Annie Calder.
Betty Calder, a name you won't forget. Okay, guys, the second part of the weekly Western is, uh, you know what? Let's hit that again. Let's go. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You guys would have been pissed, right? It is uh, Grand Duel by Arrow Films uh, with Lee Van Cleef, another Western legend. Okay, so yeah. I had never seen this movie. I like Lee Van Cleef. He's obviously in a bunch of Westerns. The Big Gun Down, Day of Anger, um, Fistful of Dollars, and uh, no, he's in for a few dollars more, and The Good Man Ugly. So Lee Van Cleef, tons of Westerns. Um, In this flick, he plays this uh, sheriff who comes uh, trying to clear an innocent man's name. He says he's innocent. So what happens is there's these three brothers that run this town. And uh, they're blaming this young man for killing their father. They call him the Patriarch. But Lee Van Cleef knows he didn't do it. So that's basically the set of the movie. He's constantly protecting him. There's a bunch of uh, assassins or headhunters coming to collect this uh, this guy. I, the actor, I can't think of his name. He's not been in too many things. But they're trying to collect his the bounty on him for $3,000. But there's a lot more to the story that's going on. You kind of learn that uh, this family had a reason to kind of frame him. There's a reason why they hated him because he has some, you know, uh, gold hidden or not gold. He knows where some gold's buried and he's kind of the leader of the mine of this small town and uh this this small town is kind of being uh you know pushed around by this corrupt brothers you know there's three of them one who's like the politician who's kind of like the mayor one's a sheriff and one is this flamboyantly weird strange character who's clearly like that you know gay homosexual character that is just like a sadist which is very common in these movies and uh you know think fire and ice not not but it's not a western but back in the day there was that you know necron um that, that character was like super flamboyant and gay but he was also like a sadist and evil and just bored with his life this character is kind of like that as well but uh that's basically the plot of this movie they pick off a lot of the bad guys there's some familiar faces in here one of the uh the lead uh kind of bounty hunter i guess you'll call him is in um what was that one violent professionals he's the guy in the beginning in the train station who guns down a bunch of people he's in tons of stuff i think he's even the good bad and ugly so yeah like i said it's got some good familiar faces the end shootout is is wonderful I love seeing the end shootout, the way it unfolds and everything like that. There's a flashback in here that it's obvious who's in the flashback. That's definitely not what they're going for. But uh, this movie relies a lot on its cool characters and uh, the acting. And Lee Van Cleef is cool as a cucumber in this. The movie opens up with a great shot where he's going to, uh, they think he's a bounty hunter as well. And he's kind of wandering through, and there's all these bounty hunters around the town trying to find this guy who's hidden in there. And this is a $3,000 bounty on his head. So Lee Van Cleef goes through and kind of like shows where everybody is. The commentary mentions all this as well. And I was like, that is very clever. That is very fun. But uh, uh, there are some things I noticed, like when the, the horse is riding, it's a different guy of one of the bounty hunters. You can't really complain about that. There's a couple twists in here where I was like, why'd they do that? What's the point of that? But uh, it's it's a really cool Western. It looks great. Um, I enjoyed everything about it. You know, these these spaghetti Westerns, you watch so many of them, they do tend to bleed together occasionally. But, you know, Lee Van Cleef stands out, of course. Um, and uh, the brothers stand out. This one has some good bad guys, uh, memorable bad guys. And there's some fairly, uh, you know, sadistic stuff in here with a Gatling gun and uh, child murder, which doesn't always happen in these movies, but 
made probably the most famous in Spaghetti Western by Once About a Time in the West, which is a really brutal scene. But uh, yeah, a grand uh, duel. It has loaded with features. It has interviews with a lot of the people that were involved in the film, including Ernesto Godaldi, who wrote it. And it has, uh, I think there's an appreciation on here with an expert talking about the movie itself. But uh, nice release, looks good, sounds good. Uh, solid, solid Spaghetti Western. I saw who killed old man Saxon. A sheriff can't collect the body from the bandits he kills. I never kill for money. Saxon City, Clayton. I'm after a man. Dead? You move that, I'll get some target practice. That's only good for making noise. Just a moment, Marshal. This man was only defending himself. You shouldn't be wearing this anymore. Easy's taking candy from a baby. You think I'd still be alive if I liked to fool around with kids who like to play with guns? Oh, John's blood! Five bucks, it won't wash out. Remove your rope, that man is innocent. No witnesses, not even friends. Sorry, Mr. Saxon. I want to apologize. Now, wait a minute. an era of peace and of order. They're not afraid anymore. I'll take the place of my father. You know why? Because dead people don't need a leader! Shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, guys. The next one is the VHS Voyage. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty. Like, I only have a couple more to do, which is a damn shame because this one wasn't particularly good. It is the Jar from Magnum. Yeah, I've had this one sitting for years here. Okay, the Jar. I put this in, and it started off, and I was like, 
this is like a weird student art film. And I was like, I was watching and I was like, where's this going? This is kind of interesting. This man gets in a car accident. He brings the guy back with him to the uh, hotel. And um, he, the guy has a jar. He brings it in. There's this weird creature in the jar. The old man disappears and the jar kind of starts to haunt him and drive him mad. But it's kind of told in like back fla- like flashbacks where it jumps around and goes in flashbacks. He starts to talk to this girl next door and she shows an interest. What is up with these movies where it's like, hey, I'm clearly demented and clearly not healthy. And um, I'm average looking guy. And this like pretty girl will be like, I'm going to take interest in you. You look highly dangerous and I could easily be killed. I'm going to take interest in you and try to save you. It's just like this weird kind of like, you know, delusional thing that <laughs> writers or, or male people have or men have. I don't know, but it's silly. Um, so she starts to take a liking to him. Meanwhile, he starts to have these weird visions where he jumps back in war. He jumps back into like these strange things that I don't know what's going on. And while I was watching this movie, I'm like, either these filmmakers are throwing everything in the kitchen sink in here and or they, they cannot get their message across at all, or it's all bullshit, or I'm a moron. So I was like, ah, maybe I'm a moron. Because at, at the beginning, I wanted to like this because they did some cool lighting and stuff with like bright color like coming out from different areas. And I was like, I love the idea of this little creature in a jar. But at the same time, I'm like, why does this all connect? Is this an allegory for you know loneliness, for his fucking sexuality? I don't know. And I don't think they know. I just feel like it's a failed art film that doesn't really go anywhere, that threw in everything in the kitchen sink. Was like, why are we going to Vietnam? What the hell's going on here? I mean, this is it's like a statement. I mean, I need a commentary to even grasp what the hell's going on in this movie. And it's one of these movies where I was like, I can almost guarantee the lead is the director, but I don't think he was. It's that kind of movie where you're like, is this a vanity project? But I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm confused by it. I wish I knew what the hell was going on. Maybe I would enjoy it. Maybe somebody can tell me what the hell's going on because it's not particularly great enough to keep your attention to like 110% where you're like, I'm going to dissect every second of this movie. Like, no, it, it kind of sucks after like 20 minutes. So you're like, all right, what's going on? Why is this happening? Who's who? I mean, like there's just that character. And then he like has black and white flashbacks where there's another character. And I'm like, is there going to be some sort of like resolution? Is there a point to no resolution? I just don't know the point of this movie. And it, 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 I mean, it does have some interesting visuals that I enjoyed and the setup is interesting enough, but it just doesn't go anywhere for me. And I can't even remember the ending and I watched it like a few days ago. So it's just not like I'm having bad luck with the two VHS voyages, mind killer than this. I don't know which one I'd rather watch. I again, I probably might watch a jar because I think I might've, maybe it's just, maybe there's something there. I don't know. But uh, regardless, actually, I probably look at the runtime, whichever one's shorter. I know it sounds shitty and lazy, but that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. Um, if somebody made this and could explain some stuff, I'd really like to hear it. And I would definitely give it a rewatch. I just don't think it's particularly good. And I just think it's kind of like a sloppy art thing.
I must be losing my mind. Okay, the next one is the Pick a Movie, and I watched this on Vudu. Um, it was by Adam Weber, and he picked uh, Five Fingers. This was made in 2006, and it has Ryan Felipe and Lawrence Fishburne. This is an interesting movie, especially made in 2006. It's definitely playing in on that, you know, torture, terrorism kind of deal. So um, I don't even know where to get at the plot of this movie, but. Uh, Ryan Felipe and Cole Meadley are traveling together uh, overseas, uh, somewhere in the Middle East, and um, I can't think exactly where, but they are kidnapped. Uh, Cole Meadley is kind of a loud, brash asshole. These guys are both not American, so they think they're kidnapped because they're American. They're tied up and they're blindfolded, and uh, pretty soon Lawrence Fishburne comes out and... Uh, he starts to get aggressive and he starts to interview Ryan Felipe and he seems to be this, uh, you know, Muslim extremist. They start to play chess and, you know, there's more on the line than just a chess game here. So he's asking him who he is and what he knows. And you're starting to think that Ryan Felipe is this poor guy who's brought into this on accident, but we have flashbacks to his girlfriend. So you start to think maybe the girlfriend had something to do with it. And then you start to think that maybe they're on the same side. Maybe they're against each other. And this is such a hard movie to talk about in a lot in depth without spoiling it but the end uh the twist ending you see maybe coming but i don't think so uh i was like oh wow that was pretty damn cool it's really well acted i loved seeing lawrence fishburne in this movie he does a really good job and uh, ryan felipe is pretty decent as well but they call it five fingers because he was a piano player so what do they start doing to get information cut his fingers off um, there's also a female character in here and uh they try all sorts of tricks to get ryan felipe to talk about what he knows and you're not sure what he knows you're not sure who he is he keeps saying he came to this uh, country to start a food bank for all the people and help everyone and help the the cause and he's part of the cause i'm part of your cause i want to help you people but uh the muslim people the people that are being you know obstructed by the, i guess the u.s government but you don't really know exactly who's who. And without saying too much, I really can't say that much without spoiling. But I thought there was good moments of suspense. It kept me guessing the entire time. I thought it was well acted enough. And uh, I just, you put yourself in that situation. What exactly would you do? But um, the end comes to, uh, the end is pretty cool. I liked how they uh, finally revealed everything. Um, and Cole Meadley is a good asshole. He's always been a good asshole. See Con Air and Under Siege if you don't believe me. But uh, yeah, just cool movie. Uh, definitely a one-time, maybe a one-time watch. Maybe a second time you pick up some on some more things. But without spoiling too much, i got to get out of here before I say anything that I shouldn't say. Cool movie. Enjoyed it. Um, nothing that I'm going to be like, the best movie ever made. But it's definitely worth watching once for sure. It's cool stuff. <laughs> gonna change the world. I'm really gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you too. What's that? I don't know. Hello? There's someone else here. Hello? Just relax, will you? They let us go as soon as they realize they've made a mistake. What are you doing in Morocco? Setting up a food program. Then why could our sources not confirm this? 
because it hasn't been set up yet. You are hiding something. I am not lying! We know you work for the CIA. They paid you a million dollars. To find out what you could. That is why you came to Morocco. I'm a banker. That is just your cover. We told the bank about your capture. We have had no response. They are pretending that you don't exist. Can you hear me? I know you can hear me! What kind of people does this happen to, Martin? Why have you come here? I can't tell you anything unless I know what you want me to say. Tell me who your friends are. Why do you want to know the names of my friends? There's a lot you don't know about me. I am not with the CIA. Tell me who you are. I am an animal. You know everything. Not everything. Okay, we're going to get in the pick-a-movie drawing. And Peekaboo, you didn't get back to me. I'm going to have to skip you, man. I'm sorry. I know you always comment, so I'm going to pick two names again. And who are they? Uh, whoever gets to me first, unless I know what movie you want me to watch. Dexter Aurora? Or what is that? Aruda? And who's going to be number two? Because I like to keep them in a week in advance, so this puts me at a, a disadvantage. And who is the other one? Moeller Morel. Or Morel. So get get to me, guys. And I will... Whoever gets to me first or whoever I can find easiest will go first. But okay, I guess we're going to... I'm dipping out of frame. I'm professional. I guess we're going to go into the questions. Um, Nick Mua. What would you tell yourself if you could go back in time? That, for me, is just so many different things, I would say. Um, I just can't get into that. You know, There's a lot of private stuff that I would say, a lot of things I would do different, and a lot of things that uh, if I start to talk about, I'll get emotional. And I really don't feel like getting you know, all uh, you know, emotional right now, so sorry. But there's just so many things. But something fun, I would have bought that direct, uh, the extended cut on DVD of Dawn of the Dead, and then I would have sold it right at the moment. When I could, <laughs> it'd make money to buy the deluxe set. Stuff like that. I would have done fun things like that as well. But if you could afford to throw an annual event a la Wasteland, Cinema Wasteland, how would you, what would you call it and what might it look like? Um, no real idea what I would call it until I actually had the whole thing together. I know it would be hard to get it together without a name, but I like to, you know, make the whole thing up and then, like, get the name at the end. But I would do a focus similar to Cinema Wasteland, but I would focus on character actors because I love character actors and they're kind of totally underappreciated. So we'll do that. Are you looking forward to all the Rob Zombie uh, to at all to Rob Zombie's Three from Hell? The concluding, the possibly concluding chapter of House of Thousand Corpses franchise or are you just meh? It's run its course. I'm, I'm actually re- looking forward to it. I'm just curious how he's going to continue it. A. B. I like almost all Rob Zombie's movies quite a bit. Um, Lords of Salem, I, I, I can appreciate. I don't love it, but I understand why it's cool and it's good. Um, and I need to rewatch. But I don't like 31. Everything else I love. I love Devil's Rejects. I like the Halloween movies. I like. I, I enjoy House of Thousand Corpses. So I'm really, really looking uh, forward to it. I'm really interested. This is going to be kind of the determining factor on Rob Zombie, you know, because uh, if you make a couple, you know, like 31's bad, then your next one's bad. 
you might you lose a lot of people. But I, I'll watch all of what he does, regardless. Would you ever direct something in another language? Uh, probably not. I'm not that great of a director now. I don't have that much experience, and the hurdle of another language would just not be very easy. It would just be very hard. Unless they were like, here's a trillion dollars, and you can do whatever you want. Then I'd be like, we could do this. Jonathan Wilhelm, solid reviews. I gotta ask you, are you displaying your VHS yet? And I will uh, get to see. Some, will we get to see some rare ones? I am now, and I will show you. Some, oh yeah, if you guys, uh, you notice I put the VHSs up um, from the cabinet. So on a, a new bottom shelf. Maybe next a week I'll do the video on week 104. I'll show you guys. You know, I couldn't do them all exactly how I wanted. So and there's some ones that I have on DVD and Blu-ray that I have kind of like lined up in a different way. But uh, you know, I couldn't display them exactly. But I got the gist of it. They're way better and way uh, way easier to get to than I had them. Okay, and uh, John Wilhelm also asked. Uh, did you listen to the 80s song Rock Me Amadeus after watching said Amadeus? Don't Mozart around the subject. No, but I have heard this song a few times. Uh, front Desk Matt. You know, that makes me think we were talking about something, and he wants to go into, um, has there ever been a movie with a with a visual you simply couldn't watch due to gore, bodily pain, depicted injury, or death? For example, I have an issue with The Breaking of Bones, a scene in Best of the Best 2 where the nunchucks guy arm gets bent back the wrong way just can't do it anymore same with the scene where eric roberts shoves the dude's arm down in itself can't do um yeah from recent memory the uh genital mutilation scene in the antichrist um the female one i was just like oh i couldn't watch that speaking of lars von trier um the abortion scene in uh, nymphomaniac 2 i was like no i don't want to see that stuff like that just sometimes you're just like "Mm -mm, mm-mm mm-mm and uh, anything with heavy machinery injuries, because I work in a machine shop. So, like, if you see stuff like um, the Mangler, I know as silly as that sounds, like people getting in that, I'm like, I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to see that. That kind of stuff is just like too close to home. I've seen that for real, and it's just not something I want to think about when I'm not at work. Uh, Parker Schneider. Why did Jeremy think John, uh, Jeffrey Jones and uh, Alec Baldwin were the same dude if they were both in Beetlejuice? I don't get it. Please explain in your next video. Also, go home. No refunds made me laugh. Thank you. Um, Jeremy's crazy, and I think he has minor face blindness, so I think he probably thought that Jeffrey Jones was actually Alec Baldwin, so every time Alec Baldwin popped up in a movie, he was like, oh, that's uh, um, the guy from Beetlejuice, even though they didn't look very much alike, so I think he thought modern Alec Baldwin was Jeffrey Jones from Beetlejuice for a while. I don't know. That's all I can explain. He has weird face recognition stuff answers um what would what did i ask last week uh oh any fond memories or weird memories of watching movies with your uh, family but uh here's an answer from a few weeks ago uh peter mccain uh i asked which would you for violent shit two or three and peter mccain says violent shit three is great so yeah there's another one for me jason and he says uh four isn't actually bad i still need to see the reboot don't watch the reboot i don't even like four but don't watch the reboot mm. okay some uh some answers for memories you have of watching weird movies with your parents or family. Nick Mua. I have one memory that's back in the, my noggin watching Mr. Scorsese, Scorsese's masterful The Last Temptation of Christ with my grandparents. They raised me. The Christ slash Mary Magdalene scene, sex scene weirded them out a bit, though not too much. I didn't confuse... Oh, yeah. And also, he I thought he confused me with a different person. But uh, Nick Moore says, I didn't confuse you with the other day, Parker. There's only one Mr. Parker. I thought I saw a pic of you and Mr. Hooper on Facebook, so I thought I, you talked to him. No, that was uh, probably John Russo, I think. Uh, John Wilhelm. 
Oh, the most awkward movie with the folks moment was when my mom walked in on me watching Critters 2. When the Krites were going ham in the hungry heifer. My mom could only muster, what the heck are you watching? I know I didn't drop you on your head for this. I know I didn't drop you on the head for this, for you to be this weird. To be fair, I was dancing along with the Krites. They're sitting there. <laughs> That's great. Um, I'm going to throw in a story right now uh, that I had. I remember my mom used to let me rent some stuff in Carnosaur. I bagged and bagged her when that came out. So we're watching Carnosaur. And um, the woman gives birth to the dinosaur. And my mom says, it like upset her sensibility. She was like, nope, that's enough. This is too stupid. It's like she was worried I would think that the reproductive system or reproduction was involving dinosaurs. I don't know. But she was just like, she just got offended. She was like, that's too fucking stupid and took it out. Okay, uh, Paul Weichel. Some of my best memories are from watching horror movies with my grandma. Growing up, I'd often go uh, stay at her house for a few days at a time, and I would always take a bunch of horror movies with me. She would often sit through some of the goriest and most messed up movies I own. It always fascinated me that my gram seemed to like uh, to like gore. One of my cousins told me that my gram probably liked those movies because they were so different from what she had grown up with. Almost like someone who had grown up with Atari experiencing modern day video games for the first time. I remember that she really liked the original Friday the 13th, or as she called it, that one where Betsy Palmer is killing everyone. I also remember my gram getting excited when I got the DVD of the 1973 movie Pigs. I distinctly remember her asking me if the pigs ate kids in the movie. I couldn't help but laugh at my gram's excitement over the idea of pigs eating children. She also really liked the Leprechaun series. I once showed her a picture of Warwick Davis without his makeup, and she said that she didn't know why such a good-looking guy would agree to play such an ugly role. It always blew my mind that me and my grandma were able to connect over such sleazy movies. Though bizarre, I will always be fond of those memories. No, those are, those are really great memories, you know. My grandfather used to bring down tons of Universal Horror movies and stuff like that, so... Incarnate, he, uh, I, I think it was Incarnate, he responded to Paul Whitekeld. And he says, pretty much the same with me. As a really young kid, she introduced his grandma introduced him to some of um, his favorite movies. Horror Express, Don't Look Now, and Mephisto Waltz. They were all movies she enjoyed, and we watched them together when I would stay over her house on weekends. She's the reason I got on the horror films. It's always great. It's always like a grandparent that gets you hooked on the shit. My, my grandpa loved horror movies. Uh, Brian Nielsen, growing up, I remember watching Witchboard with my mother. During the seance scene, I asked my mother why the medium was not charging for her services, to which she replied, So no one thinks she's a fraud. To this day, that remark has been an influencing factor on my opinion of psychics and mediums. It's worth noting that I never came across any that volunteer. They all charge. I think your mom's on to something, huh? Oh, okay, I want to mention this. This isn't a question or an answer, but uh, Ilk Vomit said some fun things about um, Amadeus. He says one of his all-time favorite films, but he has some fun facts about it, so I'll read them. Since the movie is financed by a major studio, Orion Pictures promoted the film with music video featuring, um, wasn't financed by a major studio, featuring David Lee Roth and cuts of Bruce Springsteen, Van Halen, Kiss, Michael Jackson, David Bowie, and Madonna, dancing along the Mozart Sympathy number 25 in G minor. Mark Hamill, Mel Gibson, Mick Jagger, and Tim Curry all auditioned for the role of Mozart. When shooting the scene in which Salieri is writing down the death mass under Mozart's direction, Tom Holtz was deliberately skipping lines to confuse F. Murray Abraham in order to achieve the impression that Salieri wasn't able to fully understand the music being dictated. See, I knew it. When I watched it, I was like, this is some really grade-A acting. The performance of Don Giovanni in the movie was filmed on the same stage where the opera first appeared. That's some interesting stuff. I think there's one more. 
Nope, that's it. So I guess I'm going to ask you guys uh, the question of the week. Um, the question of the week is, have you guys ever shut off, guys and gals, ever shut off a movie? Either due to it being so bad or just so gross or just you shut it off. It has to be so bad or just too crazy for you to finish. Let me know. Ever shut off a movie? And I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's get into this update. First, we have uh, a Vinegar Syndrome one. Uh, grandmother's house. You know, I saw part of this years ago. That's a pretty cool slipcover. Uh, yeah, let's see what's inside. Uh, Nico Makarakis uh, produced this movie, so yeah. Got some features on there. Like I said, it's been years. I actually had this on VHS and DVD, so yeah. That's a triple buy for me. I never even watched the damn thing. Then we have uh, Skin Flicks from Vinegar Syndrome. This looks like, uh, you know, porno. Not seen this. Not really sure what this one's about. Hopefully there's not too much naughty bits on the back there. But like I said, love Vinegar Syndrome. Reviewed uh, their uh, other movie in that package this week. Corruption of Chris Miller, which is really cool. We have Dark Room. So I actually think I had a VHS of this one as well. So yeah. Let's open it up and see what's under the slipcover. And let's hop into some stuff I got from Hamilton Books from Scream Factory, The Spell, which is a TV movie. Um, I don't know much about this movie, to be honest. So, But it was a good price. I know I kind of wanted to see it. Then we have a double feature from Shout, uh, Escape from Devil's Island, and The Final Option. I think these were on DVD in a four-pack, but these two are on blue, and it was a good price. So, yeah. Can't go wrong with Jim Brown. We got Dead of Night. Again, another Scream Factory. Don't know much about this one. There's so many movies called Dead of Night. There's like an anthology. There's this. I know there's a 70s one. I'm not sure. This might be the 70s one. Then we got Chuck Norris and Mishing in Action. Yep, from Shout Factory. You know, all these Mishing in Action movies played on television all through my childhood. I've seen bits and pieces of all of them, but I don't know much. I don't know if I've ever seen all the whole way through any of them. Then we have uh, from Shout, Teen Wolf Double Feature. I know it doesn't have the features on here, but it's good enough for me. Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. So, yeah. It's been years since I've seen these. I don't ever know if I've seen the second one, to be honest. Then we have Blackout from uh, Code Red, or was this a Scorpion? This is the Code Red from Ronin Flicks. It's got a nice cast in there. The night, the power failed, and the shock began. That's cool. You know, who's in that? You got Ray Milan, frickin' Robert Carradine. Got a, got a nice little cast in there, so, yeah. Then we got <clears throat> Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood. Been years since I've seen this movie, too. Uh, I think this is the last uh, Western of Clint Eastwood's I needed on Blu-ray, so, yeah. Dig this one. Great cast. If I remember, you know, it's got some small roles by Charles Hollihan, Richard Keel, and it's got frickin' Michael Moriarty in it, and it's got Chris Penn. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. We got uh, Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I I love this movie growing up. I know. I know it has a lot of problems because uh, um, nerds do some terrible things, but dig this movie. Still lots of funny things. Even yeah, and, You know, don't base your life on Revenge of the Nerds. You guys know better than that. But Ogre Man, Donald Gibb, cracks me up every time. Love him. 
I love him in the second one, too. And Curtis Armstrong's really funny, too. There's some lines in this movie I still say that I think are funny. I know it's not appropriate anymore, but the line uh, where Booger asks, did you get in her pants yet? And, and uh, what is it that he responds? Booger asks him, did you get in her pants yet? And he responds, she's not that kind of girl, Booger. And he says, what, she got a penis? And that's just like, <laughs> Jesus. But, uh, yeah, then we have this Hemisphere hemisphere of Horrors box set, or Hemisphere Horrors box set from Severin, Curse of the Vampires, Blood Drinkers, The Black Cat, Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism, and Brain of Blood. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Five movies. Um, glad I picked it up. Not got a chance to watch these yet, obviously. But uh, let me know which ones are the good ones. So, yeah, it looks nice. I love Severn films. They do good work, so... Yep, back to the video, guys. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Eh.